should nurses respond when they don't agree with the treatment decisions that have been made by doctors or parents? How should nurses respond when patients disclose information but don't allow the nurses to share it? These are just a couple of the many tough issues that arise for nursing staff nearly every day. Welcome to Essential Ethics and the first podcast in our series, Nursing and Clinical Ethics in a Children's Hospital. I'm your podcast host, Professor John Massey, Clinical Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre. This series is our opportunity to explore the unique perspectives on patient care that nurses have and the unique experiences of nursing staff working in a children's hospital. To help us consider these issues, I'm joined by Ingrid Schultz, Clinical Nurse Consultant at the Royal Children's Hospital. Ingrid has been a nurse on the oncology ward and now works in palliative care with children and adults. Welcome to Essential Ethics, Ingrid. Thanks, John. And I'm also joined by Professor Lynn Gillam, Academic Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre at the Royal Children's Hospital. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks, John. Ingrid, this is a fantastic opportunity for us to consider nursing in the ethical landscape of a children's hospital. Ingrid, I know from your bio that you've done a Master's of Bioethics. So could you just share with us what your journey to bioethics has been? Yeah, I first became properly aware of bioethics as a field when I started working at the Children's Hospital, which was back in 2014. Um, Went to a couple of education sessions run by yourself, Lynn, Um, and that got me thinking in my day-to-day practice when I came up against things that I felt were ethically challenging. I worked in the bone marrow transplant unit here for some time and um, I found that ethically challenging myself at times and that prompted me to look into the Masters, which I completed a couple of years ago now. Um, The final part of which I was lucky enough to do an internship here with Lynn for six months, following you around, (laughs) which was inspiring. Um, And yeah, I found it really beneficial. So Ingrid, are there some particular ways that you've found it helpful in your daily work? I think the biggest way that it's helped me has been to show me when I'm coming into something with a preconceived idea of what I think is right, which I think we all do. We come up against things in our own lives as well as in our professional lives where we feel like we know what the right thing to do is and we get quite upset if it doesn't happen. And the thing that the Masters taught me mostly was that just because I think it's right doesn't mean it's right. Or just because I think it's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, So it's helped me, I guess, just be able to notice when I'm doing that or when I'm looking at a problem and thinking I know the right way. It's helped me ask others more and seek out advice more and look at things as a conversation and a journey as opposed to a black and white yes or no sort of a problem. It's really interesting, Ingrid, because I think you've described two things. I think in the first bit, you've got this sort of natural intuition to what's an ethical moment. And I sort of see Ingrid's head popping up and thinking, oh, the light bulb's gone on here. That's that's a moment. And then I think in the second half, you're you're saying that you sort of jump to a preconceived idea, a fixed conclusion, that it's likely that there's more under this. 
that needs thinking about and un- unpacking. Lynn, is that a conception of bioethics and clinical ethics that you see? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's really terrific to hear Ingrid say that because it echoes a lot of uh, both of what I've seen working with clinicians, but how I think about um, uh, clinical ethics or ethics more generally as well, that the the really important step is to be able to see the distinction between your intuitive gut response to something, your emo- immediate emotional reaction, uh, to distinguish between that and a more considered thinking through where you're aware that there is a range of possible views, different possible reasons for and against courses of action, uh, and then taking that time to consider and, as Ingrid was saying, engage others and try and get as wide a view as possible. Um, now, Ingrid's got there through, um, at least partly through doing a Master of Bioethics, and that's quite high-level study, but that that's, that taking that step backwards from your intuitive response is something that everybody can learn to do, and it's an absolutely critical step. I, mean, I think it's fascinating, isn't it, Lynn, that when we have a, a situation that, you know, that often blows up and that there's a, the need for a clinical ethics response group and that we, you know, we get the group together and we have some information sent to us. And I know that I read it and I think, well, that's straightforward, you know. And then, and then of course, we get into the discussion and we have a wide group of practitioners from the hospital, including nursing staff. And all of a sudden it's, it's A, not so simple and B, quite often my view is very, very different. Yeah. And I have that experience as well. It's, it's not about some sort of magical expertise in ethics that gets you to the right answer straight away. It's the expertise or the, the skills are really about the thinking through and engaging and being able to, um, to take on board different perspectives. And I think, Lynn, that, you know, the nursing staff that work here, uh, you know, we're very proud of our nursing staff and high quality. And I think that they do have these moments where they recognise that, you know, something's going on. There's that sense, that feeling, something's not quite right, or, hey, this is an ethical moment. But, you know, intuitions are one thing. We need to understand those. So, Ingrid, I think part of your time with the CBC was to do a survey of nurses. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Um, I became aware through following Lynn around for six months that a lot of the work that the Bioethics Centre did um, was engaging with medical staff around things that we often think of as ethical dilemmas, treatment decisions or... Uh, withholding or withdrawing of treatment, those sort of big ticket items. Uh, And what I didn't see as much of was nursing or what I remember feeling in my clinical practice were issues that I came up against. And they are much uh, harder to pinpoint sometimes because they're not matters of life or death. Um, I've since read some articles that say, you know, all of nursing is a moral endeavour. You know, how do you choose who gets the bedpan first or which call bell to answer first? And they're micro decisions. They're not things that you have to stop and think about. But I felt like nurses were making these decisions all the time and it was a bit of a an uncharted or an area that I didn't feel I knew enough about. So, yes, we... Um, as part of my internship, we developed a survey uh, for nursing staff here at the Children's Hospital, which we, uh, which took place in September of last year, and it was uh, we gave nurses a set of sixteen ethical dilemmas. We used a Likert scale of rarely, never, sometimes, and often um, 
to sort of try and gauge how often nurses felt that they were experiencing these dilemmas. And we got a really good response rate. We got just under 23% of the nursing workforce at what, RCH What's that at in that numbers, time. Ingrid? It was 309 respondents, which was more than we were expecting. We uh, had looked at some other surveys done, not just of nurses, but of healthcare professionals um, across hospitals. And uh, response rates seemed to vary between 12 to 15%. So it showed that I think people really want to engage with this and want to know more about it and want to share their experiences. So Ingrid, there may be, may just be some people out there, nursing staff particularly, who don't know the results of the survey, who <laughs> haven't read the response. So do you want to just share with our listeners some of the, the more common ethical dilemmas yeah. that came up for nurses? We will. We are working on the publication to share the data. So look out for that sort of in the coming year. But yes, they were things like, have you had to restrain a child for procedures and felt uncomfortable about it? Or have you been asked for test results by a family or patient and been unsure whether or not to answer? Uh, We also asked about, you know, feeling like you're involved in treatment or interventions past where you thought that they were helping a family or a child, issues about consent. Um, and, and looking at the, the, the table that's in front of me, Ingrid, and remember that we're going to go through a lot of these in, in a lot more detail through the, the series, but the responses here are looking like, you know, 60 to 70% of the survey group are responding that, yes, this has happened to me uh, sometimes or often. Yes. Yeah, definitely. More than half of the questions nurses responded that they had encountered them sometimes or often. And I think that highlights the point you were saying about just that ethics is there. I've, I've written a little a quote, every nursing shift is an exercise in clinical ethics. And I think, you know, that's what your survey is, is telling us. Ingrid, um, you know, one of the things that I think happens sometimes is that nursing staff, uh, you know, ask for results. So I know that you've worked on the oncology ward and bone marrow transplant. Is that the sort of thing that, you know, happens and would present itself sometimes as an ethical dilemma? Yeah, certainly. Um, Especially, you know, patients and families, you spend a long time with them across the day as a nurse. They know you. And in lots of units, you might have families who come and go regularly. So you know them long periods of time as well. So there's just inevitably a level of personal relationship that develops within the professional sort of sphere and a level of trust. So I think parents often ask things of nurses that they might not ask of doctors, um, but they also know that you have access to the online system before they do. And they so a lot of parents can't help but ask, are the results for such and such back yet. It might be a scan. Quite commonly on oncology, it was blood results every morning. You know, what are my neutrophils? Or And yeah, nurses have access to that and they'll often know the answer or be able to look it up quite quickly. So uh, you do have to sort of decide, I suppose, are you going to find out? Are you going to say, no, I don't know? Are you going to stall or... 
I see. Can you see the red light or the, the white light going on over her head there, Lee? Yeah, there, there's the ethical moment. Yeah. You have to decide, make a quick decision, don't you? And I think, uh, you know, with the intuitions that we were talking about at the beginning, there's, there's an ethical moment. So, you know, typically how do you respond to that? For example, a, a blood count response you know, after a bone marrow transplant. Uh, look, I personally, most, most often I would, I'd log in right then and there and I'd let them know what it was. Um, I suppose there's a level of clinical judgment there where you, these are results that come every day, you know what treatment the child has had and you know that blood test results every day are a part of, you know, the ongoing monitoring. The parents know that too. The ethical dilemma maybe comes in where the result might not be as straightforward as other times or where you know maybe that the result isn't what someone's going to be hoping it should be or that the result might need to come with a level of explanation or context and it's not within your scope to give that. So the decision is do you give the result in isolation without the wider input of the team and the conversation um, or should you ask the parent to wait. Even the act of asking the parent to wait for the round maybe, that's a sign to them. They yeah. know, right, then that something isn't isn't right. So that sort of is going to be going through your head as you're standing in front of the parent in the, in the room with the child thinking a million miles an hour. So it is, it's really snap decisions. And Lynn, do you think Ingrid is being is being naughty here or is she applying some ethics to get around some you know, loose prohibition on, on sharing results? Uh, look, I think it is all about ethics, but as, um, as Ingrid's been saying, it's really complicated, isn't it? So there's all of those complex considerations about I've been asked this question and now within a few seconds or less probably, because a few seconds is quite a gap between a question and an it's a answer. Long pause. Yes, in that in that pause, you have to think about all of those things. What's the result going to mean? Can I interpret it? What will the parents make of me dodging or saying wait? Uh, if you, I presume, Ingrid, if you don't know what the result is, you don't know whether you're going to have to explain something or not. And it would be pretty difficult to say, let's look and then say, oops, <laughs> sorry, I can't tell you or it's not there. So all of that has to happen. And I, one way of thinking about this is to think that's the kind of internal ethics of the situation. What's the right thing to do in terms of respecting the, the parent's right to know something about their child, um, dealing with an appropriate response to their understandable desire to know and potential anxiety if, if they don't know. So there's um, and then what impact that might have on the child. So there's, there's those internal ethical considerations. And then that's in the context of nurses, as all health professionals, have a certain role within the organisation, within the healthcare team, and there are boundaries and there are things that some people do but other people are not meant to do. Sometimes it's really clear and hard and fast. Other times it's quite fuzzy and might come down to a matter of, um, I guess, practice within the particular ward or unit, or even maybe it varies depending on who the treating consultant is. Um, so the boundaries are not always easy to see. Uh, and I guess what that tells you is that 
There's at least two sets of considerations going on, the internal ones between me and the patient and the team-related ones. Is this an appropriate, even if we think it's the right thing for the parents to know, is it appropriate for me to be the one to give them that information at this particular point in time? Because, Ingrid, you're never thinking parents shouldn't be told this result. It's always a question of yeah, it's a when question and by of when whom. and how and um, you want it to be done in a way where they have access to the right information and you don't co- inadvertently cause more harm. And I guess I'd say that maybe for some people these aren't always ethical dilemmas. Yeah, yeah. If you don't recognise it as such and you just say, no, I can't, then you don't have that same level of internal conflict. Mm. Um, sometimes of... it's black and it is more black and white yep. than other times and sometimes you feel like it is and in hindsight maybe it isn't. Yeah. And sometimes you work yourself up into knots when you don't have to. So yeah, yeah. it's a real spectrum. It is. So the, it's really important, I think, to to be aware of those ethically important moments, to be able to see them. But I think you're also right that sometimes not overthinking them is an important yeah. strategy. And if there's a standard practice, it is ethically appropriate to stick to the standard Yeah. Or practice. if you want to prepare a stock response to these questions for every time you're asked, mm. that might, you know, stop some of your internal conflict. Mm. But I guess that internal conflict is informing you then about what your stock response would be because you're aware of all the things that you're trying to deal with, with your standard response. And it might also give you some uh, indicators as to when you would need to step outside your standard response if what counts as exceptional circumstances. Yeah. But even if if, if, if a person isn't particularly personally experiencing an ethical dilemma, it doesn't mean there's not one that's absolutely that's there. Uh, But I think in general, you know, Ingrid's highlighted that having some extra knowledge and experience and sensitivity to the issues in general is better and helps and thinks it through. But there can be some complications. And then mm. I was hoping you were going to make that simpler and you just divided it into two. But yes, but I think... conflict and, and the team yep. issues. Uh, yes, and I think that's one of the things that um, is particularly challenging uh, for, for nurses in the ethics space is that uh, there's not just one sort of issue. So th- the sort of thing that we've been talking about so far, Ingrid, clearly starts with the patient or the, the parents and the nurse and it's that individual interaction. You've been asked a question, you have to decide how to answer it. It's an ethically significant moment mm. and there's, it is an ethical decision to make there. Um, So in some sense, it's your decision to make. And if you nipped out of the room to ask a doctor, A, it's not very practical because there's probably not one out there to ask. Uh, But even so, by doing that, you kind of send a message to the family, don't you? There's a lot of literature actually about nurses being caught in the middle. Mm. They're moral agents in their own right. They have a relationship with the family and the patient and then they are a member of a wider team and there's moral responsibility in each one of those spheres and they overlap. Absolutely. And they are often conduits between patients and between medical staff. Yep. And and so, John, to just pick up on your, I divided into two, there is, a, th- uh, I guess, a third consideration which further complicates it, that some of these issues are about th- those quite contained interactions, Should I? how should I answer this question, uh, where ultimately it is the nurse who's going to decide how to answer that question. 
But some of the ethical consider- ethical dilemmas that nurses reported experiencing quite frequently were ones related to um, our care pathways, treatment decision-making overall. Uh, so those are things that are ultimately medical decisions, um, although nurses clearly are, are very intimately involved in carrying out those decisions and are... Uh, be interested to hear your comment in a moment, Ingrid, about the extent to which nurses have a say in those decisions. Uh, but those are ethically important for nurses in terms of contributing maybe to a team decision, but they're not down to that individual nurse has to decide. So I think one of the things I've really come to realise is that there are lots of ethical decisions that nurses make that are totally up to the nurse. And they're quite everyday things like the bedpan. That's a great example. Um, and you have to, the nurse has to decide. But there are other things where there's a team discussion or you might escalate it where you're having input into a broader ethical decision. And it's really important not to underplay those more apparently ordinary decisions where it is totally up to you. And lots of them are about what to say, mm. but clearly some of them are also about what to do or when to when, do it, yeah, how you order your day, how you structure your day, yeah. who gets what in what order. I think it's fascinating the language because you're talking about the nurse as the, as the moral agent, which is so appropriate, especially here on essential ethics, but really out there. And of course, I'm feeling that your Paul Ingrid is sandwiched. Listeners can't see her now today. She's sandwiched between <laughs> Lynn and I. But it's it's a little bit the same, isn't it? I guess this is, is where we'll have another podcast about moral distress and why it's such a prevalent issue and it's really come out of the nursing sphere, hasn't it? Yes. Yes. And I will say too, from the survey, we had asked, you know, what do you perceive as barriers to engaging with or managing ethical dilemmas when you see them? And the biggest one was a feeling of powerlessness. And I'm sure that will come out more in your moral distress episode, mm. but it really is that being pulled in multiple directions and not always feeling like there's agency to direct what the outcome will be. It's fascinating. Well, I'm going to give you another another thing that we sort of talked a little bit about and comes out in the survey. What, and it is better than the bedpan example. I'm sorry, Lynn. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you're pressured by parents to do things. And so I, I can see a situation where here's Ingrid, she's, you're on the oncology ward, patient X needs their platelets, patient Y needs their blood transfusion and mother X says, get me the platelets now for Sally. Have you been in that sort of situation where you had to choose between, you know, more than a bedpan? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, those sorts of considerations come up a lot, I suppose, as, and we, we call it time management, which <laughs> is a really practical sort of mm. name for something that sometimes is a little bit more nuanced than mm. that. Um, but, yeah, certainly. And your time management and how you order things, you use your clinical judgment for that in a lot of ways. You know, if if someone is, they need, especially on oncology wards, you have to give transfusions a lot, it is seen as quite commonplace, although for lots of people, obviously it isn't. Um, and if a child is, we know they'll need blood today, but they're asymptomatic, you know, they don't have headaches, they're not short, short of breath, they're coping okay, we might choose to wait and do that at a time when 
um, there's more people around or we've done something else that we know we have to do. And that's okay. That's safe to do. That's, you know, as nurses, we can assess the situation and decide that, yes, this will still be safe to do later on. So I'll do it later on. But um, Mrs. Mrs. X knows that little Y over there is going to have his blood transfusion because everyone knows everything. But And Mrs. X is a moral agent too. And she's worried about Jimmy having a bleed, Jimmy X having a bleed. And so she's pressuring poor old Ingrid, get me my platelets for Jimmy X. And I have been in situations like that where I have decided to do something in a particular order because of a child's symptoms or lack of symptoms and then have been pressured, not necessarily by a parent who knows that I've made that decision or why or that someone else's care will be affected, Um, but uh, some parents are very, very good advocates for... uh, That's polite. Um, And it was one of the questions we asked, you know, parents using manipulation in the context of clinical care. And yes, I've been at the receiving end of that where you encounter someone who is formidable and... uh, A strong advocate. uh, So you've got a parent who's able to exert quite effective pressure is what I hear you saying. Yes. They can say something that makes you feel as if you should change the decision that you've made yes, and do something for their child first. Yes. Some parents can be quite vocal about that. Mm. And I think it also, you know, I can think of a couple of scenarios where that's happened to me. And you're very young when you start your nursing career. A lot of people are in their early 20s, 21, 22 years old. And if you have someone who is confident and articulate and... uh, yeah, a strong advocate for their child and they're older than you and it's easy, at the, especially at the beginning of your career, to allow yourself to change what you do based mm. on other people and mm. that can be other people within your professional, you know, it might be colleagues or medical staff, but it can absolutely be parents. Mm. It's also, I think, in itself again, if we think about the internal ethics of it, so in choosing to do things in a particular order, as you were suggesting, it's really a resource allocation Mm. decision, isn't it? And that's an ethical decision. How should I prioritise my time? And you're taking into account, it sounded like you're saying in the first instance, the needs of the patient. So um, allocate the time to those who are in most need of your time first to relieve suffering or discomfort or distress. Yes. Uh, and those who are not experiencing current suffering, discomfort, distress, then they can go second in the queue because they're not worse off yes. because of it. So that's, you know, really standard ethical thinking and you would apply the same thing to a question about who should get an organ transplant or who to prioritise for COVID vaccination. You know, it's the same sort of thinking. But the other ethically ethical factor that could come into it is the, maybe the parent's distress. So if the parent's pressuring you, to do something first, maybe they're experiencing distress, and it raises the question of the extent to which um, obligations are owed to parents as well as children mm. in a children's hospital. And again, that's a question that we come up against um, all across the hospital in you know at all kind of levels of acuity. I guess from that's in some ways a very day to day example, but it might be exactly the same question in terms of whether or not to continue ventilation. 
yeah. in intensive care where the, the parents also have needs, anxiety, to what extent are we, uh, what do we owe to the parent to look after the parents uh, as well as to the child, to look after the child. So again, that seems to me that's a real microcosm of really big difficult issues. And as you say, Ingrid, that someone who's quite junior having to deal with that and maybe hasn't been prepared for it in their training. No, I've been struggling to think back to what ethics education I had as an undergrad as part of my degree. Um, I did do a unit on ethics, I remember, but I don't feel like once I got into the workforce, it had prepared me for Mm. that sort of day-to-day. I feel like the ethics education was those the bigger big things, issues. Yeah. I remember talking about abortion and and that is important, obviously, in lots of ways. But as a nurse, when you start working, you suddenly come up against things that you are unprepared mm. for mm. and get put in situations where you're not sure yeah. how to respond. And the other thing that intrigued me about um, the way you started talking about that was you said that we call it time management and recognise that that's a problematic um, phrase and it seems to me it's problematic because it really underplays the difficulty of yeah, it. It, it sounds like it's yeah, because it makes it sound like it's just a practical skill, and if you have problems with it, then you lack the practical skill. Mm. Whereas in fact, it, there are ethically complex decisions to be made about what's the right allocation of your time, and then there's the the um, the capacity to actually carry out the decision you've made, which requires sometimes quite sophisticated interpersonal skills, I imagine, to politely but firmly say, sorry, Mrs. X, understand your concerns, doing this, then we'll do this. So that, you know, to convey that message, I imagine, is not easy. Yeah, again, I think it comes back to nurses being in the middle. They have things that they need to achieve in their day, but they also have the needs of the parents, the needs of the patients and the needs of the medical team and allied health team. Everyone's trying to achieve something. And nurses are often, you know, right in the middle of all of that. Mm. So I think, Lynn, the ethics here is really, really helpful because you've got a a dilemma that you you might frame up as a time dilemma. But, uh, you know, it's really sort of the best interest of the child. It's the child within their family because they're not isolated from their family and how that's going to go well. And then then it's sort of of treating the parent, which is not... uh, you know, it's not something that we dismiss easily in, mm. in, in paediatrics, even if it's not a super important part of, of, of the kid. And I think uh, the value of ethics might just be being able to rapidly you know, dissect out some of those things and work mm. out just what you're doing. Mm. And that might give you the answer to your time problem and or or at best might give you the answer to your moral distress. I don't... Uh, I'd be interested to hear Ingrid's view, but one of the th- things I think maybe ethics might do is tell you that it's okay to feel that this was a difficult decision and you're not a bad nurse or lacking practical skills because you found it hard. Yeah, I think so. I think the ability to recognise that this is why it feels difficult um, is helpful in and of itself. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to come up with an answer necessarily every time, but it might help you work through why you feel like this at work sometimes. Mm. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I think so we, we're finding that ethics has got some work to do here at nursing. So, Ingrid, what about situations where patients might disclose information to you because you're their 
trusted and favourite nurse, Ingrid, but say, but don't don't tell mum and dad, or don't tell, and definitely don't tell me and old Doctor John. Yeah, it was something that nurses mentioned in the survey as something that a lot of them had experienced regularly. And I know you're intending to do a session on truth-telling and sort of um, what you should tell patients. And I think trust is really important and I think, again, if someone discloses something to you and they want it to be a secret, you have to weigh up the consequences of that. What's the consequence of keeping the child secret and what's the consequence of then choosing to share it? Um, There's going to be times where your hands are tied. There are things that we have a duty to disclose and I suppose being open with a child about that and saying, I have to tell someone about this and this is why. Um, But there are going to be times where you're not sure. Um, and that's that's difficult. Yeah. And again, Ingrid, it's one of those situations where the person who receives that disclosure from the child has to make the decision. The first they decision do. is what words are going to come out of my mouth now? What am I going to say? Um, and that, that's just, as you're talking about nurses as moral agents, that's a thing that a moral agent has to do. It's an inescapably ethical aspect yeah. of practice for, for nurses. And as John was, I think, alluding to, this is potentially the sort of thing that happens more to nurses than it does to doctors. Yeah, potentially, just um, because of how much time we spend at the bedside or in the room with someone. Um, I, Again, I think having education and having tools and feeling empowered to know that if you go into a situation and you're told something, having a way to confidently feel you can respond, Mm. um, even if then you go away and you need to seek help or advice. It's all about, I think, being able to recognise what's happening and why it might be difficult and then having some tools to feel like you can effectively respond up to a certain point. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to say the right thing. Um, you just have to be able to respond in a way that you feel comfortable. And I think that comes through education, really. Experience and education. Ex- yes. But it's also sounding like you're putting out this wonderful advert for more ethics, nursing ethics, education and, and support. But yeah, one of the points you make there I think is so fascinating. You know, we think, well, you've got to make this split decision and, of course, best interests guides us, minimising harm guides us. But then there's this other bit to best interests why ethics is so fascinating, which is the relationship between you and the trust that the patient who's made this disclosure has in you, but maybe not just you, but you as a nurse and so other nursing staff. And so all of a sudden best interests is actually far wider and more complicated than you might think at the very first instance, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And again, this I think is the sort of thing that Ingrid was alluding to before. You might have a snap decision that the child's health, mat- physical health matters more than anything else. So it's always in their best interests to disclose if there's any possible um, impact on their health. But when you stand back and think about it, the child has many interests, including the interest in having trusting relationships with nurses who are looking after them. So there's actually quite a number of different things at stake and uh, it's not always easy. 
and, and to that, juggle them. And that highlights, I think, the point, Lynn, that, that, that not having any sort of sense that there's a dilemma here isn't really right. It makes life easy for you. But by not knowing or not thinking about it, there's a whole lot of things you might be trashing. Yes. Uh, and I guess, again, going back to what Ingrid just said, you don't have to resolve it totally in that moment. Um, but there are some things that would be ethically inappropriate to say because, uh, for example, having said that, you can't really come back from it. Mm. So in many cases, maybe the appropriate uh, response is a somewhat temporising uh, making space for you to go away and get some advice or th- or think about it further so you don't necessarily solve it in the same one. But to be aware of all of the competing considerations gives you the opportunity to frame a kind of moderate response that gives you room to manoeuvre. And I think it's so hard to do that in the couple of split seconds that you have in those scenarios, mm. which is why I suppose any sort of preparation you can give nurses before they're put in that situation is helpful because if the first time you're aware that this sort of thing can even happen is when you're in the room and the question is asked, yes. you're going to be floundering yeah. and you do flounder. So I think that the survey and, and then the publication is going to be a great template for people to read and then to sort of think about some of the things that might come up and then hopefully perhaps from the podcast take away this idea that you've actually got to think more deeply and, and widely about the implications of each of these dilemmas. Ingrid, one of the things that I just sense in the background here is that these dilemmas are there, but they're a little bit unresolved and and perhaps the, the nursing staff sort of taking them home. I don't know if there's much time at team meetings for ethical reflection, but I'd also sort of see if you have a comment about what the barriers might be for nursing staff then to engage with these problems and try and seek some help. Yeah. I suppose the level of discussion and debriefing about these things is going to vary across. I'm sure there are areas that do it really well and nurses who feel really empowered to talk about it and there'll be areas where that's not the case yet. Um, I think nursing has changed so much too over the last, you know, it's changing all the time, Um, but we haven't always been recognising ourselves as being in ethical situations or dilemmas. And I think that's changing too. So just awareness of nurses as moral agents and ethical decision makers um, is helping. And I think one of the, there were a number of barriers that nurses perceived to being able to respond to ethical dilemmas. One of them was the ability to perceive or recognise the dilemma. The biggest ones were about feelings of powerlessness and position within the hierarchy of teams. So it was a systems thing sometimes and that concept of nurses being in the middle and maybe feeling like they had to participate in something where they felt conflicted or maybe didn't agree but they didn't feel empowered to change that or even to speak up about it necessarily. Um, so I'm hoping, Ingrid, that it, you know, for our nursing staff, obviously here at RCH, that through the Children's Bioethics Centre, we can start to address some of these needs. And if you're not at the Children's Bioethics Centre, I'm hoping that Essential Ethics and this wonderful nursing ethics series that we're going to do is going to just help lift that 
understanding, thinking of those moments, working out perhaps ways of dissecting and then also working out ways of, of calling for support or for help. And I think that that will be one of the the really good outcomes uh, of our series here. So I think it's probably time for us to wrap up. And, you know, we've learnt an awful lot, um, you know, about the fact that there's things happening all the time and every shift really does have ethical issues at stake. And I guess that's, Lynn, because whenever two people get together, there's there's ethics, ethics. There's yep. ethics going on. So thanks, Ingrid, for coming and, you know, sharing your reflections and uh, sharing the survey with us. And, Lynn, thank you for trying to make it simpler. <laughs> but Within <at> le- limits. <laughs> but at least open our eyes to really the, the wide range of issues that are at stake when we have an ethical moment. So thank both of thanks, you. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, everybody. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your podcast app and share it with your colleagues and friends. The podcast was made possible through the generous support of the Dame Elizabeth Murdoch Nursing Development Scholarship. The podcast was recorded in the studios of Creative Services at Royal Children's Hospital. If you'd like to find out more about the activities of the Children's Bioethics Centre and our annual conference, please look us up on www.rch.org.au forward slash bioethics. Essential ethics. Be inspired.